She'd be like, yeah, Lee, go to church. I'll take care of this. Anyway, um, we love, love, love the Dukes, and we're very thankful for this new baby. And, uh, man, our nursery is gonna <laughs> pray for Aunt Pam because, man, that thing's going to be booming. It's like two churches in one, and one of them is full of infants. So lots of babies. Good thing. Uh, thank you so much, by the way, for coming to Bible study the Bible with us tonight. Uh, really appreciate you being here. We love you to death. Do anything for you. If you need anything, let me know. We're going to be studying uh, Matthew 6 for just a few minutes tonight. Matthew 6, uh, talking about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Uh, the Lord's Prayer was given in response to a question. And the question was, Lord, teach us to pray. We learned this from Luke's account. In Luke's gospel, the disciples are listening to the Sermon on the Mount, and they interject, and they say, teach us to pray. They notice that the Lord Jesus prayed to God the Father, for the Trinity communicates in and within itself, which is a fascinating thing to ponder. Uh, as it is one God, we're monotheistic, but yet there are three persons and they communicate. And so they've seen them communicate and they say, we want to be involved in this. And so Jesus lovingly and kindly replies with just a beautiful, complete, timely, gracious answer. So if we ask Jesus, Jesus, how do I pray? Jesus is willing to give us an answer. He is, uh, he's not going to be the king of riddles. On the, he's the king of, of grace and peace and joy. Uh, he doesn't leave that question mark on this question hanging for us, but he's willing and able and ready to teach us to pray. Lord, what should I pray for? He will bring something through the power of the Holy Spirit to heart to mind. And he does this here for the disciples listening to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaches to pray. Here's his wonderful answer. Look at verse 9. We'll read through verse 13 says this, And after this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This has become the world's most famous prayer. Many, if not all, religions have some form of prayer, uh, though every God besides Jesus is a God who is dead. Jesus is the only one who can hear our prayers, for he's the only one who resurrected from the dead. But everyone has prayer in their group, in their cult, in their religion, whatever it is. And yet this is the most famous prayer by far. It is certainly the most famous prayer in Christendom. This is a prayer cited verbatim by every denomination. Some denominations even will recite this once a Sunday, uh, and it's part of their liturgy to say the Lord's Prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer uh, because um, in the Protestant Reformation, uh, which we're huge fans of, right, we're Protestants in here, unless you're not, which, welcome, right, no judgment. Uh, but yeah, we, you know, in the Protestant Reformation, they took the name that it was given and switched it up to be the Lord's Prayer. It was given its name around that time, the 1500s. It's been so ever since. And the reason they call it the Lord's Prayer is probably pretty obvious to you. It's a prayer from the heart of Jesus. It's Jesus giving us an example of what to pray for, what to pray like, how to pray. 
It's a very short prayer, which is interesting to me. Um, it is. I mean, it is to the point in a beautiful way. It is, it is brief, but it is not brief in another sense. It is brief, but it is packed. In these short five verses, we have two sections. The first section is three petitions. The second section is three petitions. The first section deals with God's glory. The second section deals with our needs as followers of Jesus. Interestingly, uh, to note, only one of the petitions has anything to do with the physical world. That's just interesting. I'm not making a big point on this, but it's just fascinating to me that Jesus said, here's how you pray, and only one of six petitions has to do with anything here, uh, and that would be the daily bread. The rest has to do with the kingdom of God, the spiritual realm, and our spiritual lives, the inside of us, our hearts, our temptations, our proclivities uh, to, uh, to leave the God we love. And so, very interesting that there is uh, that ratio. But tonight, what we want to do is just take a second to study it, say, what does this mean for us, right? What is Jesus teaching us by giving us this prayer? And I'm going to make two points. Here's the first. It's very simple tonight. But one, prayer is talking with your Father. Jesus is trying to make this point. He's making this point very clearly. Prayer is talking with your Father. This is the most famous prayer. It comes from Jesus' most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount. And if you remember, we've been talking a little bit here and there about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is drawing a contrast in the Sermon on the Mount. He's flipping culture upside down, and he's saying, here's how the worldly kingdom does things. Here's how we do things in the kingdom of God. Remember, early in Matthew, he comes into Galilee preaching, repent, believe, the kingdom of God is here. And then his followers, who want to be part of that kingdom, learn about it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, well, in the earthly kingdom, just don't commit adultery. But in the heavenly kingdom, we try not even to look to lust. In the earthly kingdom, love those who love you, hate your enemies. In the kingdom of God, we try to love our enemies. Uh, In the earthly kingdom, as long as you don't kill anybody, it's okay that you're filled with rage. In the kingdom of God, we try to live at peace with all men, both externally and internally. And so he's flipping things upside down, which is really right side up. He's teaching them how to live, his disciples, how to live in the kingdom of God. And some of the bigger points he makes, not to be redundant, is basically kingdom of God, all about the heart, the inside of us. Kingdom of man, all about performance outside of us. Kingdom of God is about relationship with a father. Kingdom of man is about religion. Those are the big contrasts that he's drawing out. Those are the big points that he's making. And so when he gets to prayer, it's no different. He's making this point, to be sure, that prayer is a conversation with the Father. It is a relationship-based concept, not a religious performance for the Father, a religion-based concept. So prayer, he's first going to note, is talking It's just talking with your father. It's not shouting out religious phrases. And we see this from the context of the Lord's Prayer, which honestly teaches us about prayer just as much as the prayer itself. Sometimes the text can't teach us all we need to know without its context. So let's look at its context up in verse 5, Matthew 6, verse 5. We'll just look at verse 5 and 6 for now, but we'll get all the way back down to the prayer. But here's the context of what Jesus is saying. Matthew 6, 5 and 6. It says, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. Right? Good advice, Jesus. Don't be a hypocrite. So what's that mean? For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and in the corners of the streets, right, out in the town square, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, 
they have their reward. But you, when you pray, enter into your closet or room, is how we would say it in 2019. And when you have shut the door, pray to the Father, which is in secret, or how we would say it is private. And the Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Very interesting. He is totally going against the religious culture of his day. And he's saying that prayer is this private conversation you have with God in your own words from your own heart. It is not a public performance of lofty words that you've prepared for the ears of your fellow man. So what's happened is the people of the Old Testament, the people of God, the Israelites, have lost this concept of a personal relationship with God. Now, a personal relationship with God is in the Old Testament, right? You read the Psalms about David and his prayer life and his poetry. It is very clear that he is not just talking for the nation of Israel. He's saying like, I'm guilty. I need your forgiveness. I love you. You're good to me. They're personal, personal relationship in the Old Testament. It was an Israelite context concept, but the Israelites have lost that by the time Jesus arrives on the scene. Those 300 years-ish between Malachi and Matthew, they have really only come to a concept of God as the father of the nation. He is, um, he is only interested in us as a whole, and they have lost this idea of a personal relationship with God. And some of the results of that, some of what may have even caused that, is this idea that prayer didn't, it went from something you do from the heart to your father to something more like a spoken word or a poem or something you would do as a leader or well, someone who's well-spoken or someone who is, is basically leading a ceremony, performing something in front of others. And it became a form of public speaking by the time Jesus comes on the scene, really. And the Lord prayer and the teaching of the Lord's prayer flips this upside down, which is really right side up. And it says, no, no, that's not called prayer. That's hypocrisy. And Jesus means it. Right? This is hypocrisy. The idea is they're acting like they're talking to God, but they're really saying, all right, everybody, time for a speech. They might say words like, God, I need you. God, forgive me. But really, they're telling the other Pharisees and the people of the temple, look at me. That's the idea. Their reward is that they're seen. <laughs> good prayer, bro. Later. That's what you get. All right, thumbs up. You can pray good. We'll see you. All right, it's a very shallow, very uh, worthless, light reward compared to the reward for those who will have a conversation with their father in true prayer, which is you get to talk to the father. Like, I love talking to you guys, okay? I really do. Like, I love John. I love talking to John, right? John, oh, Josh, I saw Josh say at Starbucks, love talking to Josh. Okay, I hope that thing with the intern went well this afternoon, the high schooler, right? I love talking to Josh, right? But let me just say, if Jesus is in the back of this auditorium tonight, I might ignore you a little bit to go talk to Jesus, right? Like, I mean, I, I don't mean anything mean by it, but I want to talk to the Father as well. And the idea is that those who will, will do basically the opposite of the hypocrites and will pray, though no one's watching, will get the Father because prayer is a conversation with your Father, right? Uh, Jesus says, go to your closet, your bedroom, or your car, or your office, or somewhere on your porch that's private, 
right? Now I know for the moms, that doesn't exist, okay? Wait till they grow up and you can go back and obey this. Because right? it don't matter where you're going, those little feet are following, right? Even into the shower, wherever, it don't matter. Like you just, there is no holy of holies for you alone, right? Like you got two people behind you all the time. But for most of us, we can do this. We can find privacy. He says, there you will pray in your own words, in your own vernacular, and you will talk to God. And that is true prayer. And though no one else will see it or think you're holy or think you're sanctified or know just how dedicated you are to the kingdom, God will openly mark your life with blessing in some particular way. In some way, we don't know exactly what way, but he will openly mark your life with blessing. Not that you do it for that, but it will happen. And that's part of the reward. So prayer is this conversation you have with your father. Keep looking, seven and eight, Matthew six, seven and eight. But when you pray, Jesus says, use not vain or empty repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. And sometimes I think the same thing, (laughs) but usually in the context of dinner with you guys. (laughs) I just talk the whole time and we'll leave. Verse 8, be not therefore like unto them, for your father, this is very interesting, knows what you need before ye ask him. Okay, so let me give you this concept. Some people understood prayer from the religious point of view that we just talked about. This is the idea that I'm using lofty words. Everybody's going to say amen. I'm going to get a pat on the back from Rabbi Dave or whoever. Then there's prayer that was understood from the heathen side of things or the pagan side of things. Now, the pagans would pray and the pagans still pray, but they had a totally different idea of what prayer did and what prayer does. And the idea was they had many deities, polytheistic many times. And in their view, the deities were far away and you had to get their attention. And so you'd get prayer beads, maybe 20 on a string or more. And every time you would touch the next bead, you'd say another prayer. Uh, you'd really say the, pr- the same prayer over and over and over and over. So there would be a pre-written prayer, a pre-written phrase, not from your heart, from some priest in some temple in your religion. Touch the bead, say the phrase. Touch the next bead, say the phrase. This way you can ensure that you actually did this 20 times. It's hard to count otherwise. So that's why they came up with the beads and these other rituals that the pagans did. Not to be too negative, but this is similar to what our friends in the Catholic Church do with the rosary, saying 10 Hail Marys in a row and one Our Father and you know, something else to instill blessing in their life. The idea is this is actually the opposite of what Jesus said to do. The idea was the heathens were trying to get God's attention as if he wasn't even really there. And so they're going to say this thing a hundred times as loud as they can, perhaps while dancing in a circle around some idol, and they'll finally get the attention of their deity. And Jesus wants to combat this idea by saying, no, 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 you're talking to a father. And here's the thing about fathers with kids. They know what they need before they ask, right? Your, your deity as a Christian is not far away, unaware of your meeting tomorrow that you're kind of nervous about. Your deity is not so far off that he is unaware that you have a headache right now or a heartache right now because you've lost someone or you've had a fight with someone or there was a difficult conversation that didn't go well. Your deity is not far off. It is, prayer is not getting the deity's attention. As Christians, we know that God has given us his attention. We see this most prominently at the cross. 
But he's already paying attention. He knows what you need before you ask him. So you're having a conversation about something he's fully aware of and cares about. Like as much as you want to pray, he wants to talk way more. And he's already ready. Just like I know my kids, they need breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And all three are lucky charms. I know that. That's what they want. Lucky charms, no milk. Why? Because it's easier to pick out the marshmallows. I know their tricks, but they still ask me, Dad, I need to eat. And I still say, what you want? And they still say, lucky charms, no milk. And I say, no way. And they say, I'm going to cry and freak out, and you don't have time to deal with that. And it's a whole thing, right? right? This is the idea of prayer. It's a very similar concept that we're not getting God's attention. We're talking to God because we have his attention. Especially if you're a non-Christian, you have God's attention. He's waiting for you to repent, come to Jesus. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. He's seeing everything you see. He's feeling everything you feel. He knows everything you know, and then some, and is totally aware that we need to talk. So he's trying to tell us, right, this is not like the religious people. This is not like the heathen people. This is like children with a father. That's who we learn prayer best from. Look to kids who have a loving father and watch them communicate and then do that. This is proven in verse 9. Look back at verse 9. He says, after this manner, therefore pray ye. In other words, he goes, here, here pray like this. Our father, which art in heaven. Right? This is talking about how kids talk to dads. Say, how do you know this? Well, because that word father, and some of you already know that you're aware, I understand, but let me just reiterate it. That word father is the um, it's not the formal version of the word for Greeks or Aramaics, really, right? It's, it's, it's the informal. It's the word Abba, which means dad. It's the personal, the personal communicator. It's the personal title. So this is not father who art in heaven, super upset at us because we're sinners, right? Jesus does have, well, God has wrath, but Jesus taken that wrath on the cross. So this is not God who's about to, like cosmic cop, pull us over, give us a ticket, make us pay. This is dad on a trip to the fair because we're close. And he has joy in me and I have joy in him. And our relationship is filled with peace because of what Jesus, our big brother, did to reconcile us and dad. So he's saying, here's how you pray. You pray like a kid with a father. And he's totally flipping their idea of God on its head again. In the Old Testament, the scriptures talk about God being a father 14 times. And I don't know if you realize, but the Old Testament's a pretty, it's a good chunk of the scriptures. And only 14 times is God called a father. Many of those times he is called a father in the sense of the father of the nation. But there is definitely texts that talk about him being a personal father. But it wasn't emphasized in the law. However, in the New Testament, Jesus comes along and he he calls God Father, I think over a hundred times if you add it all up, but really with the synoptic gospels and everything, he talks about God being our Father about 60 times, as far as I'm aware. So he is totally flipping their idea of God as one of the pagan de deities, far off, angry, must be appeased, to a God who for sure is just and holy, wrath towards sin that destroys his world, but love towards us, Grace, mercy, kindness, and closeness as a father, a good father with a child. So I say all that to make this one huge point about the Lord's Prayer. Right? One aspect of what Jesus is saying is, 
Remember, this is what you need to know about prayer. Remember who you're talking to. Remember what you're doing here. It's talking to your father. That's actually one of his big points in this thing. It's not so much the individual words. His main overarching point is it's like talking to your father, right? Last night, um, took Alden to Costco because they have well-priced Halloween costumes. He wanted the Spider-Man one. I got him the Spider-Man one. This morning, he woke up. And he's screaming in his crib. I mean, he acts like he's waking up in jail every day, right? He's, ah, get me out, right? So I go up there, turn on the lights, get him out. First thing he says is, can I wear my Spider-Man costume? He's been wearing it all day. He's in it right now at church, right? That's how he rolls. He's coming to worship. But he's not letting crime go without an Avenger. The idea is, look, he's not worried about what I'm going to think. He's not worried if he's asking too much or too little. He's not freaked out because he knows I love him. I've cared for him. I'm the one who got him the suit anyway. And so he's free to just chat. I want to wear that. Let's wear that. This is what Jesus talks about when the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. He says, okay, talk like you're talking to your father, a kid to his father. Second point, second of two. Prayer is talking to your father. Prayer is worshiping your father. We're in verse 9. Let's look at verse 10 as well, right? After this manner, pray therefore, right? Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So prayer is talking to the Father about what you need. I need my daily bread. I'm hungry, right? I'm tempted. I need deliverance. That guy wronged me. And to be honest with you, I've been wronging you. I need forgiveness. I need to forgive. That's the second half of the Lord's Prayer. We talk about what we need, but we also talk about Him. We talk about Him to Him, and that is called worship. That's called praise. And a big aspect of prayer is praising the Father. Prayer, really, there is a lot of asking and receiving. Matthew 7, 7, ask, you'll receive, seek, you'll find, knock, it'll be opened. But there's also this aspect that in prayer, we're reorienting our mind around the most important thing, and that is who God is. We're reorienting our mind around the most important fact, and that is the gospel of God. See, if all we ever do is use prayer to ask for what we need, eventually God will mean about as much to us as the vending machine in the break room. If all we ever do is ask the Father for things we need, eventually we won't even talk to him like a father. We'll talk to him like a butler. And no good father will pretend to be your butler. See, Jesus loves to serve us as our king, but he will not serve us as if we're his king. If we only ever ask for things, actually, eventually, I believe we blaspheme the Father because we are angered when he says no. So Jesus says, there's two pedals on this bike. Ask for what you need. I care about what you need. But remember, like, I'm the biggest deal, and you got me. And so you need to pray about who I am. Pray that my name would be hallowed, which means to be regarded as holy in the the world. May others know your name is good, your name is sinless, your name is perfect, it's amazing, it's unique. May my life show that your, your name should be treasured. May my thoughts show 
angels and demons, that your name is to be treasured. May my words show your image bearers that your name is to be treasured. Right? Your kingdom come. Your kingdom's better than my kingdom. I need your kingdom to come. What's this mean? I used to think that this meant to, come, like to pray, basically, Jesus, come back today. And there's a piece of that that's true. It's just not all the way true. It's, that's more of the byproduct of praying, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come is, in fact, praying thy will be done. It's, it's really hard to separate those two. Here's the idea, is that we're on earth, or as our version of the Bible that we use, uh, the King James Version, it talks about being in earth. Very interesting. Okay, so we're in earth, okay, and then there's this idea of heaven. But sometimes Jesus talks about heaven as the location above us. Sometimes Jesus talks about heaven as simply God's space. So when he's talking about the kingdom of God, he's talking about the invisible realm of the things unseen where God dwells. See, like God is in heaven, but God is everywhere. So he's in the room right now. But he's in a different, if you will, dimension. All right, some of you science geeks or uh, science fantasy, what is this called? Sci-fi, right? Don't take this too seriously, all right? You're like, dimension? <laughs> uh, that's amazing. You know, the, the idea is he's in a different space than we are. He's a different essence. Right? God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit, spirit and truth. Okay, the idea is when we pray that kingdom come, we're saying let your space invade our space. Let your kingdom invade our kingdom. Right? Let your will be done here just like it's done there. So let your will be done on earth like it's heaven here. So in heaven, Jesus, you are worshipped by the angels. May people worship you here. In heaven, Jesus, you are trusted. May people trust you here, starting with me. In heaven, you are revered. May people revere you here. In heaven... Uh, you are served. May people serve you here. This is the idea of thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're praying, God, right, make this place more like heaven. Take your throne in our hearts. Take your throne in this world. Take your rightful place as our king, and may we serve you in this way. That's the idea of thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So here's an interesting piece of it is, is he going to answer this prayer? Well, yes and no, right? His kingdom's coming. So yes, but it's coming whether you say this or not. So no, right? So is he answering the prayer? It's kind of, it's kind of hard to say. Right? His will will be done, right? We believe in a totally sovereign God, but his will is not going to be done just because, like, well, Mitch last Tuesday said that, so better do it. So is this answered? Well, it's answered in this way. It's a totally different way, and it teaches us a lot about the point of prayer as a reorienter for our heart and mind. The idea is when we pray this way, how it's answered is that our heart is softened and inclined to do the will of God, and to fight for the kingdom of God. You, you see, here's the idea, that when you pray, thy kingdom come first thing in the morning, and you're sincere about this, throughout the day, your heart cares about his kingdom, and you begin to live out the kingdom life he's preaching in Matthew 5 through 7. 
You begin to fight lust and hatred and evil desires, and you begin to love your enemies and not to fight tooth for tooth, but to rather give to those who ask and turn the other cheek because you've just prayed your kingdom come, your heart is reoriented towards loving his kingdom, and thus your actions are reoriented towards living out his kingdom. When you pray thy will be done, your mind and heart are reoriented to remembering his will's bigger than and better than my will, and thus you will submit throughout the day rather than rebel or at least be more inclined to you. That's how the prayer is answered. Because this prayer isn't so much petition as really it is praise. And one of the big points of prayer is to praise our Father. Right? So we pray, earth would be more like heaven, and he answers that by making us more heavenly and obedient to his eternal word. I think this is seen very clearly in Jesus' last moments. Gethsemane, or however you say it, the garden, before he's betrayed and he's mocked and he's crucified in our place for our sins and he dies with us on his mind and to glorify the Father and the Father raises him from death and secures our salvation. Right, All before all that happened, he prayed this prayer. Thy will be done. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. And the 100% of him that is man did not probably want to go through a Roman crucifixion. He said, if it's possible, I don't know if there is another way, but if it's possible, let this cup of wrath that I'm about to drink pass from me. And yet, then he says, nevertheless, the Lord's prayer, thy will be done. And in this moment, we see he rises with the strength to receive Judas' kiss, to put the ear back on that poor soldier Peter went after, as if that was going to help. Like, hmm, they're going to crucify the Savior. Better go for the ear. It's interesting. Right? And then he goes to Golgotha, can't even carry his cross. Simon has to figure that out. Peter denies him a few minutes later, teased by some little servant girl. He goes through all that after this prayer. Thy will be done. And I believe the 100% man, if you will, in him reorients the heart and mind, if you will, towards God, though it was never disoriented. Obviously, he has nothing wrong with him. But there's this idea at play to some degree, though it's above my pay grade to explain it. The idea is to some degree, he's like, nevertheless, thy will be done. Rise. They're coming. And his actions are aligned. And his will is done. And his kingdom does come. And his name has forever been hallowed since that crucifixion. And it's hallowed by us tonight. This is what prayer is. It is talking to our Father. And it's praising our Father. And it leads us to obey our Father. So the Lord's purpose is to teach us. Teach us to pray. To talk. To praise. And to do it daily, our daily bread. So this is not one and done. This becomes kingdom lifestyle for those of us who are in the kingdom. So let's, uh, let's pray. And we'll sing one more song. If we have, yeah, we have a little time. So we'll sing one more song. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you, Jesus. As the Son of God, the firstborn among many brethren, you have reconciled us to the Father. Father God, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins and our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. Help us with our temptations. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Lord, and yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen.